Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is the Curious Anarchy podcast, and we're here with another episode of the Witch Trials. Today's guest is Mariana, a familiar on the uh, platform. How are you, Mariana? I'm okay, Jermaine. How are you? How you? Have, how have you been? Um, good evening, every, everyone. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for for joining me. It's for been. Sure. Uh, it's it's another pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure when we have a chance to hang out. Mm. Um, so the witch trials uh, series is based on the Salem witch trials. Are you familiar with the Salem witch trials? Um, a little bit, but I think that if we um, can go through it again, it might be good for everybody who's listening to get acquainted with it. Absolutely. Okay, so in 1692, um, in the, oh, what was it now? It was the February of 1692, um, there was the, the Salem witch trials took place and it lasted until the May in 1693, the following year. And um, yeah. in that time, there were 200 people that were charged. There were 19 that were hung. And there were, I think, there were a number of others that died whilst in prison. Um, now, this was uh, catalyzed, um, initiated by a group of young girls or, or women who accused another group of young women of having cursed them. This is about the hysteria. It's about the uh, the panic that ensues when we when we populate certain ideas of, of consciousness um, and how they grow and manifest throughout society. Now, I know you may well be aware that this was actually a worldwide thing. It was more than just Salem. There yeah, was, it was just yeah. It, it, spread, it spread like wildfire. Mm, mm, mm. Um, the, the the real sort of the premise of this series is to have people come on to speak, to share their story about what they've been through. Uh, he worked for me, uh, the, the Phoenix experience, the Phoenix Rising experience, the, the Tower experience, or the Dark Night of the Soul. Um, it's a period of time where we go through quite a huge upheaval in our lives. It may be something that where we experience isolation. It might be persecution. Um, it might be, however, and this is however brief or, or lengthy this period of time is, um, but it, it typically results in the fruition of something beautiful, something very much centered on the passions of that person. Does that make it does make a lot of sense and you know and sometimes you have all of the things in once yeah. <laughs> in one in, in a, a once and and all together and you know that's i think that that's where the the saying when it rains it pours comes from you know because sometimes totally. you do get to experience all of those trials and tribulations all at once and you know i think that it gets to a point where if you do give in to the growth then you know one challenge and you know you overcome one of them and you're soon uh, shortly after hit by another one mm. um because they say that the universe doesn't give you more than you can handle right 
I know. I, I don't know why people say that. It hurts so much sometimes. I know. But- <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know. You know, uh, those those very people sometimes are the people who I usually speak to and say, well, you want to handle mine too. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I'm quite, I'm quite gladly, um, I, I quite gladly would hand it over all to you, you know. But, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you know, I think that there's, um, I think that there isn't one person on this planet that can escape these kind of experiences. Um, but there are people who handle them, the experience that the, that they they get thrown at in mm. a in in a in a way that it's not it doesn't make them a victim but a, a survivor. And, and and some others, unfortunately, are, are not. They don't find the tools to ever digest their trials and then become a victim of themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I'd like to think that I am the you know a part of those who have been given the opportunity to see these trials as an opportunity to then make the most of it. Not saying that it's easy. It's never, it never is. Mm. Um, not saying that is something that I particularly enjoy. Because <laughs> I, you know, it, it would be nice to cruise through life sometimes. Um, oh, for, sure. for sure, it would be, it would be lovely to be able to say, oh, you know what, I'm having the most fun, although all the whole world is crashing down. You're like, it's okay, it's absolutely okay. It's well, gonna be fine. fine, yeah. But you know what? I, 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 well, I don't know. I'm sure that we, 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 you probably have gone through this as well. Do you know when you're younger and you, you know, you, you observe your, your peers and, you know, and and you're going through things and then you look at them and you say, oh, why can't I just be like them? You know, for a fraction of a second. But then, a second later, you realize that your life wouldn't be as meaningful if you were. Mm. And not to say that people that have a, an easy life don't have a meaningful life, not at all. But it's just that everybody's got its own journey. And that's why it's so important not to ever compare yourself with anyone else. Because there really isn't there really isn't a comparison that could do you justice. Because you are you. You know, I am me, you are you, Jermaine. And and everybody who's listening right now everybody's got its own journey and it's all it's all already written in the stars i know it sounds very poetical and a bit redundant maybe but it is the truth you know mm-hmm. things happen and there's no coincidence they happen because of a series of choices that create a ripple effect in our lives and we have to be accountable for those choices because that's the first step to actually come out of the other side um you know come out of you know on the other side of these challenges with a lesson that is going to allow you not to repeat it anymore you know accountability the the lack of accountability is the one of the biggest problems of this world Mm. you know certainly a thing that we're familiar here on the curious anarchy podcast um, tackling politics endlessly um but you know, it's it's across the board when we look at people, friends, family, just the nature of relationships. We're all experiencing 
for example, this pandemic differently. So we all mm. relate to it in a different way. Um, mm. Even just the nature of our relationships, how we might categorize certain people, say we've got our inner circle within that, our outer circle, our work buddies and our particular interest buddies where it might be football or it might be singing or it might be dancing. We'll have particular people that we'll go and do those things with and then we exclude them from everything else. Um, it's compared, I, I call it compartment, compartmentalized friendship, mm. which is something that I actually am going through a bit of a phase at the moment mm-hmm. uh, in terms of friendships. I have, uh, let's say that I'm go, I've gone through a, a cleanse <laughs> of the of 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 the the roster of friends that I had not because I do not love them anymore because you know I don't think that we stop being friends with people because we don't love them anymore it's simply because you know I in my case it's simply because I I have gotten a little bit tired of having to accept a friendship that is based on how much I am willing to give of myself, mm. but also, you know, based on my choices as an artist sometimes, you know. So, for instance, if I ch- choose to not to be in the spotlight as much as I, as I, you know, usually am. Yeah. I see a change in some of the friends that I had, you know, I saw a change happening and as much. And, and so I just, re- I took a step back and I realized that, you know, my level of friendship with these individuals were, was reliant on the amount of spotlight that I put on myself. That's very interesting. And so um, I, you know, so I went through a bit of a cleanse, and you know, and I'm, I've, uh, I've had a bit of a solitary moment, you know, yeah. um, and uh, and then I've consciously decided to reopen my heart to new opportunity of um, talking to people, not necessarily making new friends because I'm not actively going trying to make new friends, but yeah. I just allow I allow my heart to be open enough to receive connections that are more de- more meaningful and i think it's not to do that you know it, no, there's nothing to do with the friends i think it's to do with my own personal growth because they don't know any better because they cannot see that the actual the actual behavior entails that you know mm-hmm. they, they're not but that's what uh that's what i was talking about in terms of accountability right mm-hmm. so you know there's a in every single thing even in the littlest of things there, there needs to be accountability and uh, you know in terms of friendships at the moment I have you know I have realized that I have changed in the way that I relate to people and obviously you know you cannot fit a, a, an overgrown foot in a shoe that is a smaller size yeah <laughs> right? I'm learning that I'm uh, learning that just in just the last week Shiloh's outgrown a pair of his trainers right so, uh, yeah Do you know what I mean that's perfect analogy his his toes were hurting bless him you know they must have been hurting because if you put your 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 foot in 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 a in a a shoe that's not big enough your toes are gonna hurt you know and and then obviously you're gonna try and get a new pair of shoes that it's big enough you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so i I really want to kind of get into your story that you'd like to share with us Mm -hmm. um 
you've Which often, one? <laughs> you've often shared your story about domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, I'm sure you've shared that one with us previously. You've delved quite deeply into it, actually, deeper than perhaps I had been aware of previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was certainly eye-opening in terms of how you've really dealt with it personally. Um, so this time, I would really like to hear about your story within music and what that so, has involved. Uh, it's, it's a long story, um, but I'll try to be. Um, I'll try to. Make, I'll try to make it quick. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's not, not nothing, nothing so much different from what you hear sometimes. Uh, you know, and the testimonies that some artists have actually come out. Um, with in recent months actually i don't know if you've um if you follow the rebecca ferguson story mm-hmm. and um you know the the confessions um that she um that she that she made about you know her time on the x factor and under the management of that um of that particular company and you know and um so my story is not very different and um you know, it starts a long time ago. I started singing when I was seven years old, uh, mm. back home in my country, and I've done loads of things. And um, I perform through, you know, I perform in, in beautiful places for millions of people, um, for two popes. Um, I've, in, you know, by the time I was 16, I was a qualified vocal coach as well. And, um, and this was all in Italy before you came. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I um, when I turned, were you born in Italy? Like where did I was you born in, in 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 the heart of Babylon in Rome. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, <Wow. laughs> I was okay. born in Rome. Amazing. Yeah, and um, and then um, at the age of uh, you know, traveled across Europe. Um, I've done a few shows, and and then by the time I was uh, I turned nineteen. Um, 20 I have met uh, a manager yeah. of an American gospel choir in my city actually it's quite an amazing story um, gospel music amazing obviously always very uh, a very big fan of gospel music um, mm. as the root and foundation of any other music so any other style of music so um I went to watch a concert, a gospel concert in my city, and at the end of the concert, I went to befriend the choir, asked them to sing with me for a little bit, and uh, the day after I was on tour, they um, they got me right away, and they asked me to go on tour with them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah, it was incredible. It's one of those things that you think, oh, my God, is this really happening to me? Um, and so, yeah, you know, here I was packing my bags and going on tour with an American gospel choir. Um, and uh, the manager of this um, of this gospel choir then turned out to, you know, turned turn to be my um, asked to be my manager and started working on my personal projects because um, I was already a songwriter by then. I had started sing- writing songs when I was fourteen. Okay, right. And um, he had. Um, you know, um, he had a lot of connections, um, especially in London, in the UK. And, um, you know, we went, we were, we were working with the gospel choir for about three and a half years across 
you know countries um and this, and at the same time we we started to work on my personal progression and um you know obviously young so girl, just just before you you go there so you say you you performed across different countries if if this is the first time that people are kind of coming across you on this podcast or in general mm-hmm. um where did you perform everywhere in the world aside from asia and africa wow mhm yeah yeah it's been it was an incredible experience and that's an actually an experience that has made me become so much better at what um what I do you know a strained um strained my voice um because I had trained my voice um and I still train and I you know for a very long time but um singing gospel music with the gospel choir was a different type of training and it was not just a, a, a an actual vocal training kind of camp but it was also a spiritual camp because when you sing gospel music you don't sing for yourself but you sing for you know spirit is spirits that is singing through you and it was you know that was quite an amazing and incredible experience but on the other hand the manager was not a very spiritual beautiful person <laughs> so you know it's um it took me a long time to see it but you know when you when you're young and you know let's start off with saying that in nobody in my family has ever been involved in the music industry um i am the only person who's ever sang in my family um or has ever done anything artistic So, you know, we 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 kept traveling and at the same time as I was saying uh, this person had a lot of connections here in uh, in the UK and um um we you know, we we managed to travel here um the first time to have me auditioning with an independent producer. You're going to be okay with me not mentioning names, right? If you want to mention names, go ahead. It's it's up to you. If you I'd don't know, I'd rather not. That's fine. No problem. Right. Um I'm not I don't like name dropping. It's is one of those things. I just don't think it's necessary um to name to do to, to name to drop names. You you know the names separately, you know, from from our private conversations, but mm-hmm. um yeah, I just don't think it's necessary. But anyway, so I had a, I had this um addition with this incredible um producer who does a lot in this country or produces uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the western musicals and um and so you know he, he, i came to london he met with me and this manager and uh, a couple of other team members and um i got signed the first time wow first time in meeting yep okay And then and um what, how did that go down like you you went into the room or into the hall and you sang and they said Yeah, you know, actually we like came to, we came to London and we had a meeting in um in uh, in an office and um obviously they heard me singing and playing the guitar I auditioned with my own songs I did an audition with any covers or anything and okay. I got I got signed um and um one of the collaborators was also a songwriter a top liner um a top liner is someone who writes lyrics to a melody that is already existing okay um so um because my english wasn't as polished as it is now after so many years of 
live in in London. And practicing, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, practicing. My also my English was very American in a way, in my accent back then because obviously having traveled with an American choir for uh, for three years, you know, it's, it was quite American. Um, but also when you learn, you'll find that when you learn a new language, your brain still thinks in your own to begin with and you translate sentences that make sense in your language but may not make complete sense in the language that you are speaking at the time. Yeah. And idioms, they're called, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was uh, I was not as acquainted as I am now with those. And um, so we started working and uh, the plan was for me to move this was in May. Uh, the plan was for me to move in October. They're going to get me a flat and they were going to give me a salary for me to just completely dedicate myself to music. Wow. I mean, that that sounds like the ideal contract agreement for any music artist, for any creative, full stop. These are the kind of contracts that we used to get in the music industry. Nowadays, it's all changed. Mm. But these were the kind of contracts that were given to to a musician. You know, and you would have a label that would invest hundreds, th- hundreds of thousands of pounds to begin with as an, as an investment, um, and and you would get, you know, you 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 would repay that money with the through the investment being successful, right? Of course. Um, but it would mean that you would not have to dedicate any moment of your life to thinking about how to sustain yourself or yeah. how to promote yourself or to do your marketing or you know any 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 of those things mm-hmm. and so um so you know i was obviously overjoyed over the moon super happy and then um you know october came and uh, there was this incident whereby the producer, the, the manager, who was Italian as well, so the manager of the gospel choir and my manager, came up with this excuse um, and, you know, out of the blue spoke to my parents saying that the he, he wouldn't want me to move to London on my own because this um, producer was supposedly a, p- a pedophile. Right, okay. Which obviously was a lie, and we found that out years later. But wow, yes, that's and quite the, an accusation to level at someone. Yeah, this the whole stigma that comes with along with that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, and so, and so obviously my, you know, my little heart was crushed. Um, and my parents obviously didn't have an, an alternative but to believe this man and protect their daughter. Um, you know, How because the time? Yeah, I wasn't a kid. I was already a grown up. I was about 20, 20, 20 something, twenty one maybe. Okay, so you were quite young then, mm-hmm. sort of naive, quote unquote. I am. I wasn't naive, and to be to tell the God's honest truth, now mm-hmm. with the with the knowledge and understanding that I have now as an artist and as a woman, I can mm-hmm. tell you that I had doubts about this person, but. I did not understand that my gut was trying to tell me something back mm. then because I didn't know how to follow my gut or, you know, I didn't understand the the, 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 the feelings that I had, you know, um, yeah. towards it. Because when you're quite young, you don't really pay attention too much to the, the smaller details, right? And especially when you are, when you're working through a dream that it's a lifetime dream and it's such a big dream you know because i have done a lot of stuff in my country tv shows and all of those things 
Um, so, you know, I and I never wanted to sing in Italian. I've always sung and written in English. So for me, it, wow. it, it was just the coronation of a dream come true. If I had, you know, wanted to, to sing in Italian, I probably would have done so much more back home, you know. But yeah. um, but I didn't want to because I always thought that if you have a dream, you have to dream big, wow. you know. Um, and it always felt just right to write in English, you know. Um, mm. It was something that came natural to me. I mean, it's I mean, English is the the universal language. Um, yeah, it's uh, the third most spoken world spoken language in the world. The first one being um, um, Chinese because mm-hmm. there are so many of them, and then there is. Uh, uh, Spanish and English, right? The three most spoken languages in the world. Um, I speak Spanish, I speak French, I speak Italian, I speak English, but English is the one that is the most melodic, the melodic to me. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, and so um, it just comes naturally. And anyway, coming back to the story, um, yeah. we, um, my heart was crushed. And, um, you know, and, and, and obviously um, my mom and dad, with an accusation of, of the sort, they wouldn't want to risk my life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, we carried on going, um, working on the gospel choir. And, you know, he said, don't worry about it. You, get, you got signed the first time, you'll get signed again. Your life is more important. And obviously with an accusation of the sort, you, you think, of, yeah, you're right. You know, I don't want to go through any of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few months went by, and um, you know, still on the you know, we're still on tour and still working. I have I have an opportunity to actually work with an incredible piano player who is now living in Rome, but is actually a member of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which is uh, a one of the amazing oh bands. Yeah, one of the amazing amazing bands that played at Woodstock in 1969. Wow. Um, so all of a sudden, I find myself in this studio with this incredible piano player called Dick Halligan, and we work on uh, on some some music, and um, we do a series of jazz um, dates in Italy. Okay. During okay. the summer, um, and uh, we record this amazing version of my funny Valentine with him on the piano, and you know, and 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 we used to spend some time together doing rehearsals, and I used to ask him so many questions, and you know, the biggest question was, you know, at that time for me, the biggest question was. Um, how was Janis Joplin? You know, you met Janis Joplin, you met Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, so for me, it was just like, oh, my God, who are you? Like, you are amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was an incredible and he's still an incredible musician. And um, and that was an incredible experience, which reestablished a bit my, my faith into the manager that I had. Right. Because obviously having such an experience, it's uh, quite rare. You know, it doesn't happen every day that you get to play and go on tour with Rick DeCalligan or the Blast Red and Tears. Um, and then after that, um, you know, some good news came and, you know, he told me we've got a new ad- audition in London again um, with another producer um, in, you know, his offices are in Houston Square. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's quite an incredible guy and he wants to, you know, he heard some of the recordings. He, he, he thinks you're incredible. He wants to meet you in person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I got my little self on a flight again. I come back to London and um, it was actually um, the same day that I had 
my meeting with this with this man with this producer was the day of the uh, you remember the buses attack the terrorist attack on the oh, bus yeah. in london it was the same day oh wow yeah it was the same day um and um and actually the piano player who was supposed to come to accompany me mm-hmm. beautiful my friend shout out to jason thompson you know who I'll tell you about it in about in a minute um but um you couldn't he, he, did, he couldn't make it because um he got a telephone call just before he got into Liverpool street station and that telephone call saved his life because and wow. okay. seconds yeah 10 seconds after getting that phone call the the station exploded Ooh. yeah yeah and i at the same time i was on the on the other side of town um in the hill i had just come back to the hilton hotel and in houston and the moment that we got into the hotel there was the explosion on the bus and i remember the hotel um the hotel windows trembling it was quite it was quite uh quite quite an experience um but yeah so we have this meeting and um i go into this person's office and uh, on the wall there's platinum albums and all these plaques and pictures of the destiny's child and mary j blige and and paul mccartney and all of these incredible musicians What was that like, walking in and seeing pretty oh, much all of oh jemaine you have no idea you know if you think you think think about think about me as you know me right mm-hmm. and think about the, the 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 young girl who was seven who started singing in a little village of 8000 souls at the most and having and having worked so hard through her teens to get to a point where she's on tv in the in her nation and then goes on to sing for hopes <laughs> and the likes and then goes on to an American gospel choir world tour and then goes on to touring with uh, Dick Culligan of the Black Sweat and Tears and then you know you get to walk into this office with all of these incredible artists plaques on the walls and and you think what is actually happening to me you know and um and I go there with my little guitar and um we sit and we talk and I get asked a lot of questions and uh, then I get asked to sing. Mm-hmm. And again I sing one of my my songs. Um and I get a pat on the back at the end of it saying welcome aboard this is your train jump on it. Wow. Yeah. And um and you know it's just uh when you get those when you when you hear those words it's one of the most incredible feeling in the world because for as much as we think we, we say that we do we shouldn't seek validation when you are acknowledged not validated but acknowledged for the hard work that you've put into your art yeah it's yeah. an incredible feeling so you know um I'm all I'm all in oem you know of the world of you know I'm in a taxi cab and with with my sound engineer at the time who's a who's still a very good friend of mine and uh, who's worked for who's worked for uh, Joe Cocker and Tina Turner and toured the world with them being their personal sound engineer for 25 years and um I remember being in uh, do you know Buckingham Palace Road Yeah. You know the long boulevard uh, and uh, at the bottom of which you'll find a Buckingham Palace, right? Yeah. Um 
So uh, we were in this black cab, and uh, next to our black cab, uh, uh, I remember it as if it was today, there was a uh, limo, a white limousine, and the sound engineer turned around and said to me, that's going to be you soon. Um, and I was like, I don't need a limousine. The black cab is fine. Because <laughs> um, for me, just even the fact of being in London was just like, oh, my God, I'm in London, you know? Um so for for anybody who's listening who was born here, your city is incredible, man. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then you know, and then we go back to Italy. We fly back to Italy. Before flying back to Italy, actually, I get an opportunity to go to um, Van Morrison Studio, a personal studio, um, um, in his in his home working wow. on a track uh, you might have seen a picture of me on instagram actually of that day um is a picture where i am wearing a red t-shirt and i'm i've got headphones behind the glass of the studio and i look so young i am so young in that picture i was so young um not that i'm old people i'm not old at all but <laughs> <laughs> but i was much younger <laughs> let's put it this way um and so yes um and uh, you know we've made the dip it stop work on we worked on a track and then um and then um went back to our to, to italy and um carry on working and um and you know and and did some some stuff and and in the meantime i was then uh, um, invited to wales um after a couple of months of going back from from coming back from e- England to Italy, from my sound, uh, I was invited by the sound engineer to work with um, with someone who's um, who's no longer now. His uh, his name was Mike Jap. Mike Jap was one of the songwriters for The Kiss, the rock oh, band. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who, who lived in Port uh, oh. in Wales uh, next to Swansea. <laughs> Um, and uh, we had an incredible week um, and we recorded a, a song that he had written, which I still have. And we arranged three or four of my songs as well um, in his studio. And then I traveled back to Italy, you know, and all of this whilst I'm, you know, still doing some dates with the gospel choir, still meeting with Rick Dick Culligan and doing uh, the jazz show, you know, meeting with like, you know, these incredible people who I grew up listening to, like Van Morrison is an incredible guitarist, man. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it, I had my first band when I was 13, you know, in Italy and, 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 and all of the guitarists, all, all of the musicians back home, you know, they were all, you know, I was, um, this you know living in this fairy tale really and then um then it gets to the point of uh you know me i started to you know i started to ask questions because um my you know the, the plan was to also move to london with this new manager now uh, involved and um and and do the same you know concentrate on writing concentrate on working in music and um but every time I would ask the question, the Italian manager then would just uh, avoid the question. And uh, I did not understand why. And, uh, you know, and after a, a few months of me asking, when are we going to London? When are we going to London? Then I started to feel very uneasy about this person because he was, um, I don't know, he was very, um, he became very, um, you know, I think he's um, aggressive. Is not the right. It's not the right word, but not very pleasant in the communications that we had. 
Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it became quite um, quite abusive, if I'm honest, uh, in the way that he was um, he was speaking to me, and you know, in, in some of the things that he would um, he would do, you know, uh, out of maybe spite and things like this. Mm-hmm. What? Why? Why was that happening? Um, I'll get to I'll get to the point. I'll get to that point. So, after a few months of me asking, um, it turns out that these um, also this contract has not been fulfilled um, because of um, a uh, you know a workload issue that this London manager now had. But you know this also was a lie that I found later on. Um, and so you know that's me that now I start losing faith in this person because he's not treating me properly I don't I feel that he's not doing everything that he should be doing I feel like he's wasting opportunities that for me are very valid and bear in mind that this is the time when the internet wasn't as it is today um the mobile phones were not as they are today they you know it was the era of the flip phones the motorola flip phones right where you didn't have whatsapp and all of those things and and so it was quite difficult to get hold of people's uh, telephone numbers or email addresses unless you had someone that could provide them for you okay Mm -hmm. so you know you know obviously i'm not i'm annoyed um we've done you know then it comes to the end of the gospel choir tour and um the manager tells me that he's not going to pay me for the for the time that I spent on tour because it was a good training for me and exposure wow. so i basically so i basically performed for years on end on end and um didn't get paid for it that part of my money i've never seen okay um and you know, he said, well, you know, we paid all of your accommodation, your travel and everything else and your food. And so, you know, you don't, you know, really, you didn't waste any, any you didn't spend any money. So the money that, you know, um, we don't think that you should get paid for this because it's all exposure. And, you know, and I was just like, okay. That was three and a half years of my life. <laughs> they, they effectively broke the contract. Um yeah basically um but with the premise that the man that they were going to invest so much more money in my project and me um and then move me to london finally right so you know obviously i on the other hand have parents who are going through a lot of different things um back home um my family went through quite a a lot of turmoil when I was younger because um, of uh, the Sicilian Mafia. Okay, right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we uh, we were, you know, going through quite a lot of stuff. And so I, you know, I had started having a lot of doubts about this person, but I didn't really open up too much with my family because I didn't want to aggravate them more than they were already going through and uh, the things that they were already going through for themselves. Yeah. And... Um, so I started being very suspicious and not very happy at all um, with this with this with this Italian manager. And then um, after a while, um, 
in that we came back from the gospel choir during the summertime. He said, "Look, there's a there's an A and R from Warner Music International that has heard your recordings and would like to meet you in London." And I was like, "Okay." So I said to him, "This is the time because we're not gonna we're not gonna go to London, and I'm not gonna get heartbroken again because yeah. you'll find something that isn't right. This time, it this is it." You know, because this is a major label. This is Warner Music International. These are not a bunch of idiots. This is a great record label, right? And it doesn't happen every day that you get to meet someone from Warner Music International and actually <laughs> audition for them, right? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. that's, that's like a one in a million, one in a lifetime. Right. And, you know, bear in mind, this is my third time coming back to London. Right? <laughs> Three so, bites of the cherry. Right, so I um, so I'm, I get prepared, and uh, we um, Jason Thompson, the piano player that I was telling you about, Jason um, is going to be my piano player. Jason, during that summer time before the last trip to London, was on tour with me, and uh, we did an Italian tour. Yeah. Um, um, we performed in arenas uh, back home in Italy, um, and then you know um, when it was time to do the audition then it was natural for me to just say, you know, Jason, can you be my piano player for the audition? Because we already work on stuff together. So it was at the, there's a there's a studio in Stratford, in Stratford called The Premises. Okay. I haven't, and, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a long-standing studio. It's an incredible studio that has also a, its own cafe. So you have access to the actual recording studios and the rest of studios through a little door that looks like a hobby door at the back of the of the cafe. Um, and so I'll go, you know, I'll go into, I'll come to London. I'm happy, you know, I'm here again, finally, because obviously that was always my goal to come to London and, and do what I want to do and do what I love. So, I'm, you know, I get into this room and... Uh, and Jason is here, and this guy comes in, and and um, and I, uh, you know, I am obviously very excited about it, and um, I and I, you know, I sing for him, and he gets really excited about it, and he starts talking about plans right away, and you know, he says, oh, you know, um, I, I'd like you to come to London and move to London so we can get you in the studio recording ghost vocals for um, Leanne Rhymes. Do you remember Leanne Rhymes? Coyote? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, so he was saying now, you know, because Leanne Rhymes is not very happy about the, the vocalist that record the songs that we proposed to her. So, you know, maybe you can start working with her. And at the same time, you can get acquainted with the studio and the musicians and we can start working on your stuff. And he was very excited and I was very excited and I, I was super excited. And, uh, and, um, and basically, you know, um, I go back to Italy and you know I start getting prepared and the more I start getting prepared the more these the more these Italian managers starts getting uneasy around me all the time it doesn't answer you know my telephone calls it doesn't answer my messages and so you know the few times now that I'm in the car with him every time we go to the petrol station I flip his Motorola open and I write down some numbers of the people that I had met through the times that I've been here because right. I need because now I need answers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So you're doing your own investigation now, right? So you know it was crazy, you know. Um, so you know, one time we are in this petrol station, and he left because he always used to leave this phone behind and his phone in, um, take the phone with him. And then this time we went to this petrol station. Uh, I'm in this BMW, and I open this flip, this I flip open this Motorola, and I find the 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 number of the sound engineer in the black cab that told me about the limousine. Right. And I was like, right, I'm going to call him and ask him the truth. What's going on? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, a few days go by and I try to find the courage, you know, to because at that point, I think I kind of felt like I knew that there was something that wasn't quite right. But, you know, that moment where you know that something isn't quite right and you're quite scared of actually getting the confirmation. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I finally called this guy and um, and the first thing he says to me, I am so grateful that you have called me. I am so thankful that you found a way to reach out to me. I need to tell you the truth. Turns out the Italian manager, right, um, so the, is, it had been stealing money from all of them. Wow. He, the pedophile, the, the supposedly pedophile producer was never a pedophile, but it was someone who got, um, you know, who, who wanted to sign me to a contract right. that was actually independent from the Italian manager. And he was scared right. of this because the contract that I had with the Italian manager, I did not, I did not know this, otherwise I would have left him years before, but he, he hadn't registered it. So that contract wasn't valid. And so because he knew this, he was scared of sending me alone to London because he knew that if I if they had signed me, he would have had he wouldn't he wouldn't have any right to me and my music. Yeah. yeah. So he invented the story of the pedophile. Mm-hmm. And then he stole money from the second producer, the second manager, the one with the plaques on the wall. And then he um, he blew up the um, the Warner Music International contract as well because he stole money from them and uh, and then he stole money from the sound engineer too wow wow so he's he's literally been it yeah like just but he's been <sighs> he was just being greedy because he was he, he, he wanted he, he sees the network and he's almost disabling those nodal points in the network to enable to prevent you from actually yeah reaching out or branching out yeah because he knows that the contract that i have in place with him is invalid and i can mm-hmm. kick, him, kick him to the curb mm-hmm. which i actually wouldn't have done because whoever knows me know that i would actually do that because you know given that you bring me to these opportunities why would i do that to you you know um but obviously who who is inclined to do to have that sort of behavior will think that everybody is like them you know mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so um, I get my dad and I sit my mom and my dad down and I explain to them what's been happening. My dad is furious, obviously. Uh, so we go to meet the guy to tell him that the contract is no more and that we have, we want nothing to do with them ever again. Um, and um, the guy obviously didn't take it very, very well. Um, all sorts of threats, all sorts of things. Um, and then, you know, eventually he had no leg to stand on because, as I said, the contract that we had between me and him was invalid. Wow. And, so, 
And so what I did was, um, with the sound engineer, I said, Rory, I'm coming to London. And, um, and, um, it's and, actually going back. Uh, yeah. So I've, 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 you know, I, I called, I, you know, I free myself from this guy. I called my, my sound engineer friend back and, and I say, I'm coming to London. I've got signed three times. I'll do it again. And wow. I'll do it. And I'll do it again on my own. Wow. Um, at the same time, my vocal coach and best friend, um, you know, during this period of time, she was ill with cancer. Okay, okay. And um, that was a close relationship. It was my bestest friend. Um, it was, you, you know, it, it was, she was my sister. By the time I was, you know, because I started really young, by the time I was 16, we were very, you know, she was a little, like, she was quite old, much older than me, but it, it, it was such a bond that, you know, by the time I was a, I was a teenager, I would spend the m- majority of my time singing in the studio with her. And then as I grew, I became her, her truly her best friend. Um, to the point that when she got ill, um, she didn't want anybody else but me with her. So I, um, I put things on pause for a bit because I had to, you know, that was my, that was my, my duty, you know, to, to be with her and spend time with her and, you know, until the very, the very end. And, you know, and then when she passed away, my world kind of collapsed a bit. Um, but I, were, you know, were you present when that took place? Sorry? Were you present when that took place? Oh yeah, yeah, until the last the last minute. Right. I stayed with her until the, the end with her and also with my mum when it happened with my mum. Right. Okay. It's a very it's a, it's a very empowering moment, but we can have that conversation on another podcast episode. <laughs> um that'll be number four. <laughs> number four. And then, you know, and then um so after she passed away, um in June 2007, I said, uh, "All right, um, now I'm going to London." Um, so I, yeah, you know, packed my bags, and here I, here I was. But this time around, I didn't know anybody because I lied to my parents. I told to my parents that Rory, the sound engineer, was going to come and pick me up. But what I didn't tell them is that he, unfortunately, <laughs> this is he's, he's, my life is like a movie. I swear. Um, just before me coming to London and us fulfilling all the plans that we had, he got diagnosed with throat cancer. Oh, so he could not help me in the slightest, yeah, because he was battling to stay alive. He's oh, he's overcome, he's here, he's still alive, and I'm very grateful that he is, and he's a very good friend. But he could not be there for me in, in in that sense when I moved to London. But my parents didn't know this. I told them that he was going to come and pick me up in the airport, that he was going to drive me places, that he was going to take me. And I blatantly lied. I came to London with a backpack and two, you know, a backpack and a big luggage and a small trolley and, you know, went to a, host- went to a hostel and, uh, and I had to start again from ground zero scratch because wow. what I had what I, all that I had done and all that I had done back home as well wasn't of any or any validity and also the people that were scammed by this person they didn't really want to have anything to do with me uh-huh. because because I came through him 
Right, 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 right. So right. by association then. Right. So I literally, I couldn't even bring my guitar with me when I came um, because it was too expensive. Expensive. And um, and then the first uh, two months, uh, it was quite hard. And, um, and the you know, I came in September, that Christmas, the first Christmas that I spent in London. My next door neighbor used to hear me cry every night because I didn't have a guitar. And I was frustrated that I couldn't do my shows and over mics and, you know, start again and, you know, get on the road again. And he, he had bought a guitar uh, for himself months before. And um, on Christmas Day, he knocked on my door and he said, I have bought, you know, I bought something many months ago and I never used it. It's been closed and on my wardrobe. Now I know why. Uh, Merry Christmas. And he wow. gave me, and he, and he gifted me a beautiful Ibanez guitar, black guitar. I will never forget Raphael. Wherever he is right now in the world, I hope that he is a happy man because he made me a happy woman. Because that meant that I can, I could start, you know, going to open mics again. And then I played literally every open mic venue in this in this city. <laughs> and um, and then from the open mics, the promoters started to see me, and they started booking me for showcases. And then from the showcases came the bigger shows, and then from the bigger shows came the festivals, and then from the festivals came the jazz cafe. Wow. Um, and I played at Jets Cafe. And this is all by myself, by, by the way, just me and the guitar. Wow. Um, and then Jets Cafe is, um, you know, I, I managed to be the last performer who performed at Jets Cafe the last night that it was an independently owned venue. From oh, the following wow. day, it would then be uh, become part of Live Nations. Wow, that's quite a memory, mate. And that's the night where I met the uh, the, the the managers here in London, <laughs> who um, who have then um, approached me on the night because that night at the Jazz Cafe it was a competition which I won. Well, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> um, and it was quite uh, quite amazing. And then um, and then uh, yeah, they approached me and they asked me to. Uh, if I would be willing to work with them, and uh, they had a, a bit of a, you know, uh, they had a bit of a record. Um, they weren't, you know, I I never heard of them, but they had signed um, a band to Virgin Music not okay. long before. Um, so, and they were on the same, they were, um, you know, very well acquainted with some people in the industry that I had met, and um, um, through my 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 musical experiences and um and then you know as we you know now i'm a bit you know i'm a bit more savvy in the way that i'm working as you know all of those experiences that i you know that i learned from i can see things and i can smell things and i you know after a few months of working with these people i'm just i started to get uneasy already after very few months um because um of the kind of uh of the kind of meetings that they were setting up with the the kind of musicians that were bringing me to, it wasn't right for me. Um, I didn't think, and um, and then they started talking to me about the X Factor experience, uh, and they presented it to me as a as a plan, um, which I didn't really buy into it for buy into for a very for for a long time. 
um, and they um, they kept coming back to me saying, you know, look, they really want you, they really want you, you should do it because it's gonna be it's gonna help us reach that kind of quick exposure that we want, and you know, and um, and um, you know, given that nothing else was moving with them, you know, in terms of the other things that we were supposed to be doing weren't happening. So I said, you know what? It's all my life. Since I was a kid, everybody in every single country has always asked me to do one of these shows. In Italy, actually, when I was 18, I got to the final stage of, you know, a, a show called Operation Triumph. And I walked out. I got to the final and I walked out. My mom ne- Because... It was just one of those, you know, I never really believed in the format of these kind of shows. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, when I, you know, after, you know, after the 15 millionth time they asked me, you know, I felt like if there was a chance that that could, you know, could, wait, you know, uh, maybe I because of the one that I walked out of when I was when I was 18 right okay um and I so and so I agreed to to do the show but I agreed on the condition that they would let me use the show as a vehicle to raise awareness of domestic violence and raise money of domestic for for the women's trust which is the charity that I'm the ambassador for that helps women recover from domestic violence right okay and the rest, you know, the rest is history. Um, I stopped working with these people uh, shortly after the X Factor because they it turned out that they had no money and they were trying. The actual the reason why they got me on the X Factor was because the band that they had signed to Virgin, uh, Virgin had given them a very large sum of money um, for the band, and the band never showed up in studio. So now Virgin was suing them for that money to get that money back. And so they were trying to use me as a vehicle for them to make quick money so they wouldn't have to go bankrupt because Virgin was after them. And this is my, you know, and, and the rest is history. You know, I um, I uh, was very blessed because the X Factor experience has brought much luck to me. I've been on tour. I've released the first EP in London independently with, in 2013. I missed I, I missed that bit. Oh, I didn't tell you about that bit. But, um, <laughs> Just <laughs> but a small I, you know, minor detail. You know? Yeah, you know, between, between me coming here and me getting on the X Factor and doing all of those shows and the showcases and whatever, you know, I released an EP called The Time Is Now. And then, you know, and then after the X Factor, I released Untamable. I've been on tour ever since. And I am internationally known, literally every single part of the world. I get messages to this day every week at least before it was daily now it's every week about music and uh, about my x-factor edition and from all sorts of countries uh, from johannesburg the last one was from kenya um two weeks ago and then last week someone from uh hamburg in germany um jamaica uh, st lucia um, ethiopia australia new zealand Russia, the you know, and um, yeah, so 
I'm working on a, on a, on a new album at the moment, and you know that I've since established a, my own independent record label. Um, that has been, you know, it's been we've been working on it for a while now, and we have a roster of artists, not only our own music, but we we do a lot of artist development. I am a vocal coach, and I I teach. I do um, uh, uh, artist development development workshops and. You know, we, we, you know what what a record label does. You know, because I, you know, it's um, you know, it's uh, it's been a journey for me, man. And um, this is uh, probably the first time that you've heard the full story and not pieces of the story. Yeah. And it's been intense, man. And uh, you know, if I didn't love music to the core, if music wasn't who I am, as opposed to be what I do, I would have. Uh, thrown in the towels a long time ago wow. Wow. wow and that you know and all of this was happening at the same time with all that's happened to me in terms of my personal private life experience and you know me being in a violent relationship my mother being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and dying three days before christmas and my best friend dying and you know and yeah my dad being in a in you know in an hour hospital you know and and yeah you know so i am blessed jermaine i'm truly blessed wow that that it really is a story of resilience like you know when you really really want something and it's like regardless of what happens i'm still going to go for it i'm still going to to follow this this dream I mean, so, but, you know, I realized that, you know, people, I used to call it a dream, but I'm doing it. So it's a reality. So the moment that, you know, because I think that there's a, the, the illusion of being a musician gets given to these young people as something that is going to bring them fame and fortune and, you know, and gold and, 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 and riches and bitches, you know, <laughs> as they like to call it. But it isn't, that is the illusion. This, this, that is the illusion. That's the illusion of, of 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 a marketing plan that they sell you to try and fool you. And it's like keeping an hamster on a wheel. When you're a musician, you are a musician. You don't dream to be one. You 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 can dream to be one when you're not and you're learning an instrument or you're learning your craft, right? Mm-hmm. But once you've learned your craft, and you know, and you you consistently keep keep learning but once you have earned the basics of your craft you are a musician it doesn't matter what level you're a musician at you you are the dream and i think that that's what young people forget nowadays is that you know it, that you don't need someone to sign a contract for you to say that you are good enough you are the dream and without you there's no managers without you there's no labels and without you there's no art so you you're not you're not dreaming you are the dream mm, happening in real time mm-hmm. and something that i've i've really come to understand since since actually starting this podcast and speaking with artists is that it it really is about creating the lifestyle because yeah. um and i was actually speaking with somebody about this today where um, I was making comparisons to like somebody working in a nine to five job and somebody who is a musician. They will live very different lifestyles. 
Um, and even if you are working in a nine to five job and you have, you know, the aim of becoming a musician, living off of that full time, um, it's it's very, very tough and it can be really stressful that trying and, to You know, take someone time. take someone like Lady Gaga, right? I'm sure that every you know, they and I'm not sure if you watched the documentary or whatever. Lady Gaga was dropped by her label and she was she went bankrupt. Because one of her albums didn't sell enough, and uh, you know they had advanced all of that money, they invested all of that money, so she oh, went bankrupt. Yeah. Because until you get back, all of, you get them back, all the money that they've invested, you don't own anything. Yeah, you don't have to pay for stuff because you're famous, <laughs> so they give you stuff for free a lot of the times, mm-hmm. and you know, and they. You know, you can have a, a certain lifestyle, but you don't own anything until you've made that money back. And she went bankrupt before then going into a hiatus moment and having, you know, having to think about what she wanted to do. And then she went on to shoot the the, the movie, um, A Star is Born, and she made a kind of a jazz album. And, and yeah, you know, so, you know, every level of what people don't understand is that at every level there is a, a level of compromise that you can that you and you choose whether you want to compromise or not and that's okay. why that's one of the things that i always say to the young people that we, we we train i always tell them the first lesson is what is the level of compromise are you willing to to accept you have to establish it now because then when because if you don't you you get yourself presented with uh, with things that will push you, and because you f- you get thrown, you know, into the deep end, you 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 make decisions that are not right for you, and you find yourself completely being owned and manipulated by these people. Wow, and and, and that like psychological ownership. It's abuse. Mm. It's abuse because being on a being on a TV show and you know filming for 18 hours a day for an entire week and you cannot take your heels off because you're going to they you have to consistently be on camera and have 18 hours of of, of footage every day taken of you and you know and 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 for for the crew to forget to feed you yeah you know that's abuse bro like you know being told that you're gonna wake up at seven o'clock and meet at 7 30 in the lobby and for them to come and knock on your door at five o'clock in the morning and tell you you have two minutes to get ready um and you have to look spotless is abuse wow and this is the you know this is not this is uh, a small fraction of what I went through on that show, you know, what is what, what Rebecca Ferguson is actually talking about is the God's honest truth. So you think about, like, I, I think about how how long has X Factor been going now? Many years now, very many and years. All of these artists and performers and singers and that have been through those that that I don't know if you want to call it like a rite of passage. But it, it's some sort of it's not a rare passage. It's, it's actually, it's actually, it's a, you know, it's, it's just a, a an entertainment show, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, in in the same breath, it's also quite an opportunity to be exposed to the nation. But think about it. How, if you look back on um, the participants of these shows, right? Mm-hmm. There's very few of us that are still remembered by people. 
yeah absolutely and i didn't and i didn't win it and i'm very blessed because everybody remembers me and knows who i am you know who who is like the first person that you remember from all of these Uh, that is definitely the only one i remember which is leona lewis wow you know i am i remember lamar and i think he was on pop stars yeah, but I didn't, uh, you know, we didn't have pop stars in Italy, I, I, bro. I, I, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> you forget that I'm not here. So, you know, um, that's the other thing. That's the other thing for an Italian person to come yeah. to a foreign country and have that kind of effect on a, an audience that is not a home audience. is It was mm. quite incredible for me. I got a lot of love wow. from, the, from the actual people, you know. Mm. Um, and I, this is a message to everybody who I, you know, I love you all, but s- stop asking me to go back to it because it's not going to happen because it's, <laughs> it, you know, it was an experience that I do not regret, but it wasn't the greatest of experiences for many aspects of the behind the scenes that you don't get to see, you know, but for us performers, whenever you ask us, you ask us to go back is, uh, actually quite heavy on our heart, you know? So stop asking us to go back. It's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, I think that has been quite a story. Is is there anything that you have to say to kind of finish off? Um, you're the dream. Don't dream. Be the dream. And, for, and don't forget that whenever you have a talent without you, the people who want to exploit that talent wouldn't have a job. Mm. Mm. And don't let them exploit you. So be the dream. And, you know, and my story continues and my music continues. And I'm, I'm, I'm a testimony of the fact that if you really love what you do, you, you find a way to get through it and carry on doing it. Um, and do it at the best of your abilities and be good at it, you know? Um, and you know and just be the dream excellent excellent but what a wonderful note to leave on um i'm not going to ask you to sing don't worry um (laughs) this isn't an audition and i'm not simon cowell um but i just really wanted to shower you with appreciation and really give you your flowers because your journey has been a very tough one um, the resilience, the, the conviction, um, the just pure determination really is, is very evident for me. And having known you for how many years now? Something like eight years, maybe? Seven, eight years? Yeah, more than that. I think, I think I've known you pretty much almost all the time that I've been down here in London and I've been down here for 10 years. Yeah, more or less it's been that time, yeah. Yeah. And we even went to a festival together. Oh that, yeah. That um, and you've always we got the, we got the face yeah. painting, the matching face yeah. paint. Yeah. You know what? I was just looking at the picture on your Instagram now, and I was thinking, oh yeah, Aww. that day was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was. He actually was a very good that was thing. At, uh, Kaz Fest in ooh, is it twenty? 20- 15, I think. 2015, around that time yeah yeah that that was a significant one for me because that was actually my first festival booking 
Okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think I really kind of like let you guys know that. I just thought, you know, I had my agent hat on. Like, yeah, this is what <laughs> you know. Um, I all but, I remember is that you were very, you were very funky, and you enjoyed quite a lot uh, the face paint and uh, the cotton, the sugar candy. Yeah. <laughs> all I remember is you eating sugar candy all covered in face paint <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want to find those pictures you can go to Mariana's Instagram and track back uh, a little while um, and you'll see a picture of the, the group of us all together with our yeah. face maybe drinks and everything else that we, we were we were Indeed. on that and, and you fun. know and And then by all means, you know, if you want to reach out to me, do find me on social media. Is um, Instagram is, you know, if you type Mariana Zappi, you'll find me um, everywhere. Um, and yeah, you know, and I'm a very approachable person, so I don't bite. Chat to me. And I will confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been um, a pleasure, Jermaine. Thank you for having me again and um, getting me. I don't share this story very, very often because um, somehow when you share these type of stories, people look at you and um, there's always that moment where they feel like you know you feel like um, they look at you and like oh you know is she is she get, is she saying the truth because people would rather believe what they see in the media than to actually the real experience of someone who's talking to them, looking at them in the eyes. So I don't, you know, I, I, and also because I don't like to be looked at as someone who's been through a tough time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, I'm never a victim, you know. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed all of these experiences and I keep enjoying all of these experiences. And even in the ones that were really tough, I always found a good lesson not to repeat the, the cycle. And I pray that that's my prayer to myself, that I continue to grow without repeating cycles that I have already learned from, you know. I hear that. I hear that. Much respect and gratitude for your presence today. I appreciate you, Mariana. And so do I. Thank you so much. You're you so very much. welcome. It's been wonderful and it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, for being open once again to come on and, and share another one of your stories, delving a little bit deeper. Um and giving me some more insight into who Mariana is and, and your your tower moments. I think there were several of those moments that took place there. And um, the succession and, and the procession that, that takes place is just really profound for me. And I'm honored, I'm honored to know you. It's actually, you're yeah. so cute, thank you. You know, it's a, you've done, you've come a long way too, you know. I. Um, I remember our conversations and your dreams, you know, um, and and I see you now being the dream. And and the, and this is what makes me proud of you, because uh, there were moments in your life that weren't as always easy to, to, to go through. Mm-hmm. But you have gone to a transformation that is like a chrysalis, really. And I see you doing the things that you love now, and I think I see you. I see the conviction with which you do things that you believe in, and you know, being unapologetically Jermaine. And that's what I wanted to see from you, um, you know, because I knew that you could do it. But you know, um, I think that it's um, it's a testimony of the fact that you've grown as much as I've grown in the times that we've known each other, even if we haven't been in each other's pockets. And yeah. it's, it's nice sometimes to come back and take stock. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for that. I was about to say, hey, enough about me, enough about me. 
but no, I'm, I'm just going to say thank you. <laughs> Take it. Yeah, you know, I, I gave it to you with, 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 with my heart open. Take it. Thank you very much. This is Mariana Zappi on the Witch Trials right here on the Curious Anarchy podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>